My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we journey through the Word of God. Glad that you're joining me, continuing our journey through the book of Matthew today. And we're going to be starting at Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, going to be looking through to verse 19 today. And I'm so glad you're joining me. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, Instagram, maybe listening to me on a podcast, wherever, please like, comment, subscribe, and share these however you can. Let's do whatever we can to get these out. Uh, to as many people as possible. So uh, I want to encourage you, please do that. Uh, let's start off with Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, they said to him, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Now, this is interesting because Jesus commanded his disciples. He said, now you go out and do it. But he didn't stop his ministry. So now it's Jesus and the disciples. They're all, they've all split up. They've all gone in different directions and they're now doing what they're called to do. Go to all the cities and probably all around the Galilee and start to spend, spread out uh, to the the Jewish. Remember, he said, go to the Jewish, Jewish people first. So that's where they were on their way to go. And then John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus. Now, it's also possible, but probably a little bit less likely, that John didn't ask this question for his own sake about whether Jesus was really the Messiah or not, but for the sake of his disciples, because he wanted them to go and ask Jesus for themselves, uh, which would then focus their attention on Jesus and not on John. Uh, William Barclay said this, Herod Antipas of Galilee had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. During that visit, he seduced his brother's wife. He came home again, dismissed his own wife, and married the sister-in-law whom he had lured away from her husband. Publicly and sternly, John the Baptist rebuked Herod. Herod took his revenge, and John was thrown into the dungeons. So that's why John the Baptist was in prison, and that's why he sent the two disciples to Jesus. So in John chapter 1, verse 29 to 36, and other passages uh John very clearly recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. So his present doubt in this particular situation might be explained because perhaps he himself misunderstood the ministry of the Messiah. Perhaps he thought that if Jesus really was the Messiah, he was going to perform works that were connected with that political deliverance of Israel, or at least the deliverance of John the Baptist himself, who was in prison. Uh, but the dominant note here in these first few verses is that there's a confusion with John and or his disciples. Maybe John's long trial and, and his time in prison, maybe it's confused him. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John, John the Baptist, the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
Jesus wanted to assure both John and his disciples that he actually really was the Messiah. But he also reminded them that his power would be displayed in the most humble acts of service, which was meeting the individual needs through compassion and not in these spectacular ways or or display even of political deliverance of Israel. He's come to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Interesting statement that he says to the disciples of John. Jesus knew that the focus of his ministry was going to be offensive to the expectation of the Jewish people because they longed for political deliverance from Roman domination. But there was a blessing for those who were not offended because of Jesus who came against the expectation of his people. F.B. Meyer, a friend has turned these words into another beatitude. It is the blessedness of the unoffended. Now, I know too many offended Christians. I've, I cannot believe how many people I, I hear say, well, that just offends me, or I'm offended, or you offended me. Uh, and they say it about God. There are, not only will they say it about their fellow human, they'll say it about God. Well, I'm offended that God hasn't done what I asked him to do. I'm offended that God didn't heal this person who's important to me. Well, I'm offended that he didn't act the way I think he should, I think he should act. Jesus said, no. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. That means regardless of what Jesus does or doesn't do, you're not offended by him. Spurgeon. Blessed is he who can be left in prison like John. Blessed is he who can be silenced in his testimony and can seem to be deserted of his Lord, yet can shut out every doubt. John speedily regained this blessedness and fully recovered his own serenity. Verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. And he quotes from the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him, John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So much in this, this, this almost like mini sermon by Jesus. He reminded them that John the Baptist was God's chosen messenger of the Messiah. He wasn't never meant to be a man pleaser or even a self pleaser. He was in fact more than a prophet because he alone had the ministry of serving as the Messiah's herald. And for that, he was the greatest of the prophets and the greatest of men. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3. 
And some might paint John in a bad light because of his seeming doubts regarding Jesus. But Jesus himself immediately went on to speak very highly of John the Baptist. John was steady. He was not shaken like a reed when Jesus said, Who have you come to see? He was sober. He lived his life in a disciplined way. He didn't love the luxuries and comforts of this world. He was a servant. He was a prophet of God. He was sent. He was a messenger of the Lord. He was special. He could be considered the greatest under the old covenant. The new covenant had not started yet. And he was second to even the least in the kingdom under the new covenant. Think about that. In the old covenant, he's the greatest. In the new covenant, even the least is higher than him. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Even though John was great, he was not born again in the same sense that you and I can be under the new covenant because he lived and died before the completion of Jesus' work on the cross and the empty tomb and his resurrection. Therefore, he didn't get to enjoy the benefits of the new covenant. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 8. Spurgeon said this, the least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law. Sobering. Okay. Jesus makes this statement about heaven and the kingdom of heaven suffering violence and the violent take it by force. Used to sing a song with those words in it. Jesus' reference to violence refers both to the intensity of spiritual warfare surrounding the ministry of Jesus and, and John the Baptist and also to the intensity required to persevere in following God, in following Jesus, in promoting his kingdom and telling people about his kingdom. And the exact sense of this has actually been debated about what this verse means. And it's made more difficult in in some ways by the complicated grammar in the original language. D.A. Carson probably gives the best sense of both expressions. He says, the kingdom has come with holy power and magnificent energy that has been pushing back the frontiers of darkness. This is especially manifest in Jesus' miracles and ties in with Jesus' response to John the Baptist. The kingdom is making great strides. Now is the time for courageous souls, forceful people to take hold of it. Matthew Poole said, the kingdom will never be received passively. It is always founded on God's work on our behalf, but God's work will always produce a response in us. They are not lazy wishes or cold endeavours that will bring men to heaven. And then this wonderful, wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon. Let me read this to you. About heaven suffering violence, the violent taking it by force. Frequently complaints are made and surprise expressed by individuals who have never found a blessing rest upon anything they have attempted to do in the service of God. I have been a Sunday school teacher for years, says one, and I have never seen any of my boys or girls converted. No, and the reason most likely is you have never been violent about it. You have never been compelled by the divine spirit to make up your mind that converted they should be, and no stone should be left unturned until they were. 
You have never been brought by the Holy Spirit to such a passion that you have said, I cannot live unless God bless me. I cannot exist unless I see some of these children saved. And then falling on your knees in agony of prayer and putting forth afterwards your trust with the same intensity towards heaven, you would never have been disappointed for the violent take it by force. I love that. Jesus then says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Jesus saw an era ending with John the Baptist. All the prophets and the law anticipated John and his ministry as the herald of Jesus. And there is a sense in which John speaks for every prophet who heralded Jesus' coming in the Old Testament. Under the Old Covenant, Every other prophet said the Messiah is coming. John the Baptist alone had the privilege of saying the Messiah has come. And he said, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. John may also be seen as Elijah in a partial fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. But John was not actually Elijah but he served in the same spirit, the same power of Elijah, the same office. Luke chapter 1 talks about that. Because John was Elijah in this symbolic sense, Jesus said, if you are willing to receive it. Elijah did actually come during Jesus' ministry, during the transfiguration. We're going to read about that in Matthew chapter 17. But in further fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 in the Old Testament and that promise, Elijah will come again before the second coming of Jesus, likely as one of the two prophets of Revelation uh, in Revelation 11. Um, now, if John the Baptist's ministry was like that of Elijah, then we remember that Elijah became depressed and discouraged also. Uh, and so that's why Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew, uh, uh, R.T. Bruce says a, a proverbial form of speech often used by Jesus after important utterances here is used for the first time by Matthew. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, okay, let's, let's read verse 16. Um, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. What shall I liken this generation? Jesus here considered the nature of his current generation, how they were choosy, uncertain in receiving God's message and his messengers and his ambassadors. And he's, he, he says, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. We mourned. You did not lament. The idea is that those who have a heart to criticize will always find something to criticize. There were people who wouldn't be pleased with either John the Baptist or Jesus. And then Jesus says, look, I've been called a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, as if that's a bad thing. And Jesus quoted the criticism that others had leveled against him. And those words were meant to condemn Jesus, but they became wonderful words that inspired Jesus because Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
And then he finishes off this particular part of his discussion with the disciples and he says, wisdom is justified by her children because the wise person is proved to be wise by the actions of their children. Jesus had especially in mind the wisdom to accept both Jesus and John for what they were and what they were called to be. That's what Jesus had in mind when he said that. I need you to accept John and I need you to accept me. People often criticise John, but look at what he actually did. He led thousands of people to repentance. He prepared the way for the Messiah. People might criticise Jesus, but look at what he did. He taught, worked, loved, preached, died like no one ever has because he rose again, conquered death. So what's my observation from this today? Jesus was not the Messiah that the Jewish people and the lost sheep of Israel expected him to be. And he's often not who we expect him to be. We, we, we think that being a, somebody who accepts the free gift of salvation means that Jesus will do certain things and be certain things for us and to us. But Jesus will be no more than what he said he will be. But he'll also be no less. A disciple, a disciplined follower, is somebody who defers to the wisdom of whom he serves. We serve Jesus Christ, so we defer to his wisdom. And if he chooses and says, this is what I will do and this is what I won't do, this is what I will allow, this is what I won't allow, we must defer to that wisdom and be okay with it. That's the life of a disciple. Heavenly Father, allow us to live with a confidence in you, a confidence that no matter what we do, we are to do everything with as much force as we possibly can. We are to ask you for as much power as we can have in order for people to see the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I, I pray, Lord, that you would allow our prayers to be more violent, if you like, more, more aggressive in asking for what we need to ask for so that we can do what you've called us to do so that we would have a desperation in our hearts and a desperation in our in our minds and our souls and in our spirits for others to find you, for others to, to not have an eternal death, but to have eternal life. In your name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.